Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome again to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Donald Mazzella, and I am Editorial Director of Small Business Digest. We come to you through four media channels, here at Blog Talk Radio, through our online newsletters, via our magazine, and now video channel. They are now all available to you at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Each month, we touch more than one million small business leaders through our various channels. Each hour here at Small Business Digest Radio, we hope to bring you information, strategies, and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are carefully chosen for their expertise or experience. They do not pay to be on this program, but rather our editors and readers identify them. We also identify the topics of possible interest for our audiences. If you have any suggestions or particular topics you want us to cover, please email us at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. Tonight's program, like all our efforts, have a wide diversity of guests talking about the topics you want to hear. And speaking about that, uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback from listeners who want to hear more and more from, from uh, actual entrepreneurs and small business owners. Uh, and that's why we're particularly glad to have with us tonight Stephen Bloomstein of Pride Bites. He's going to talk to you about how he came up with the product, how he developed it, and how he marketed it. Steve, are you with us? I'm here. Thank you, Donald, very much for having me. I appreciate it. Did, did I pronounce it right? Is it Bloomstein or Bloomstein? It's actually Bluestein. Bluestein. Okay. That's correct. I, uh, I should find this out beforehand, but uh, I, uh, this is kind of an informal pr- program. Not a problem, like, not a problem, of course. Um, like we all ask all our guests, tell us first a little bit about yourself personally, how you came, you know, your background, how you came to be where you are, et cetera. Absolutely. I'm originally from Houston, Texas, and I uh, found my way to the University of Kansas uh, to study tax accounting there. I um, got my master's in tax in the University of Kansas. I made my way out to Los Angeles um, to practice tax accounting for uh, quite um, a, a short term. And then shortly after that, started Pride Bites uh, and have just recently moved to Austin, Texas, and relocated the company's headquarters. Oh. Um, okay. So now, Pride Bites. I know a little bit about it, but tell, tell uh, the audience what your product is. Absolutely. Uh, Pride Bites are uh, foam-based dog toys um, that are award-winning toys. Um, basically, it starts with two layers of Durabyte fleece on top. Um, underneath, we sew a ripstop technology together with that Durabyte fleece. Um, inside of the toy uh, is a foam stuffing, which really um, makes our toy one of the most versatile toys in the market um, here today. Uh, the toy is extremely lightweight because of the foam, and also uh, the foam gives the toy the ability to float, uh, which obviously then can be machine washed and air dried uh, for use indoor or outdoor 
um, whatever the occasion. Okay. Now that we've given a plug for your product, tell us some, uh, how you came up with the product and uh, some of the things that you had to go through in order to make it a success. Absolutely. We actually came up uh, with the product when uh, we were in college. Um, it really started in that college apartment um, cliche video setting that uh, everyone kind of speaks about. And uh, really, we got the ideas because we all had dogs in our group and really wanted to create a toy that was different, that we felt comfortable with our dogs, that could really withstand the rigors of everyday playtime. Um, so kind of put our minds together on excuse me, the different uh, materials and different uh, features that we wanted within a dog toy and um, then set out to create it. It actually took us about a year and a half to create the perfect prototype, um, which we think is the best quality for the best value. Um, and in addition, what we found um, was that we can incorporate a lot more style and design into a, pri uh, into a toy um, that we currently haven't seen in the market. Uh, so what we came up with, obviously, was the Pride Bike. Um, and then, you know, I would say that the major obstacles are just getting out and really preparing yourself um, for the ventures that's ahead. I mean, I think that um, really planning and, and budgeting and, and trying to use the best available resources around you um, is what gets you to overcome those obstacles um, that might be in your way. Well, uh, th name a couple of obstacles that you, you ran into. Uh, at the very beginning, uh, there's an obstacle uh, of, of just finding enough capital to get the idea initially started. So, you know, you kind of um, put together a plan and devise a plan and, and kind of hit the pavement and knock on doors to, to kind of get your pitch out there and to get people understanding uh, what you have going on. I think another, uh, you know, larger obstacle at the very, very beginning was to figure out uh, how to produce this item, um, figure out whether, you know, what the best um, opportunity was, whether it was in the States or somewhere abroad uh, to produce the item and to find really somebody that could uh, understand your vision and take you on um, from the beginning. Um, and, and those two concepts really uh, are really what the foundation of your, your company is uh, to get started. Um. How did you find uh, financing? Uh, we actually uh, went out for friends and family, uh, you know, knocked on doors and uh, utilized LinkedIn a whole bunch with reaching out to um, various people that were in consumer goods uh, and, and angel investing in general. Um, we're currently, uh, you know, reaching kind of the next level of plateau, which was, uh, you know, our initial phase and our initial growth. And after launching back in October of 2012, um, you know, we had the idea of doing something different. Uh, shortly after, we were recognized for doing that uh, different concept within the industry by Pet Business Magazine, who awarded us the best dog toy of the year. Um, with that recognition came, you know, just such a, a boost in brand awareness and exposure. And, and now today, we're sitting here uh, after our launch in October of 2012 in a little over 3,100 stores throughout North America. Um, so the ability to kind of pair uh, when you kind of need your resources and capital alongside, you know, when it's time for expansion and when it's time to really buckle down and reinvest the profits. I think, you know, that's the um, biggest focus of our group, especially uh, alongside trying to make every dollar count, essentially. Well, you're in 3,100 3, stores that I hear. We are. We're in 3,100 yeah. stores uh, throughout North America. Oh, that's the dream of all of uh, entrepreneurs. How did you manage to do that? Uh, you know, we have a fantastic sales team. Um, our COO, Sean Connect, uh, and our national sales manager, Michael Fage, um, have been able to penetrate the market by getting out there and just hitting the pavement. Um, they call um, numerous retailers 
um, and big distributors every day and try to get our story out. Um, the biggest thing what we want people to hear is just to get the product in their hands so they can feel how different the quality of our product is versus the competitors on the market. Um, and it's something that we really uh, target as far as our vision within the company, to bring something that has a lot of value and a lot of quality um, and to make it easy for you know, that consumer or that retailer on the other end to make the decision to bring us on um, because the product that we're producing and we're putting out there is something that they would want to put, put their name behind. Well, um, uh, with 3100, that means you had to have a large production run. Uh, did you do it here in the States or overseas? Uh, we didn't. We actually produced everything overseas in China. Mm -hmm. um, and we uh, had to ramp up production uh, over the course of the past year um, a considerable amount as, you know, the, the brand awareness started to take effect and um, sort of we've, we've built the support and following. And um, I, I think we, ha we have, uh, you know, amazing factories overseas who really put a focus and emphasis on quality and safety, um, which I think is really the driving force and to make sure that the product comes out um, exactly what you want. Well, you, uh, you talk about quality. Um, uh, and I've seen the product. I, I, and, uh, by the way, we have a sample of it um, uh, on the screen at, at, uh, during the show. But uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, did you go for quality or price point? You know, we, we went for quality, and I, I have a funny story that actually when we, when we started out, um, our cost to produce the item was well over our retail price. Um, because we, we knew ultimately with the economies of scale and just kind of learning our way throughout the industry that things would eventually come into place and that um, if we got into this with the idea of, of doing good and helping out and um, contributing through our, our fantastic program, which is Buy a Toy, Help Save a Dog, and really putting the emphasis on the quality of the product um, and, and what it feels like, you know, that you, you reach a, a, or are able to uh, have such a choice of variety of dog toys on the market. And what we really want people to understand is that when you touch our product and you hold it in your hand, um, that it's so much different than the other competitors out there for the value that it's on the market for. <clears throat> uh, you, uh, uh, it's very interesting. You're emphasizing this, which is good. And don't get me wrong. Um, uh, uh, I keep coming back to that because uh, – uh, small businesses often have a, uh, to make a choice when they're producing a product between quality and price point. And, and how did you manage to get the uh, production down, the cost down, to hit your price point, or didn't you? Uh, yeah, we, we, we do now. And, and um, with economies of scale over time, I think that obviously leads you to the price point or the cost that uh, makes it all feasible. However, I think really it's about sharing your vision with the people that are producing for you. And um, one thing we also have is an amazing and talented young design team um, and production team that works with our facilities overseas. And, um, you know, we, we want them to make sure that they know that on the other side of that company that they're producing for, they have a group of individuals who are out there um, really trying to push the brand and, and to get the word out about the product. And, um, you know, I think that if, if you want to notice one thing about our group, that characteristic that shines through through all of us, is that um, we really go in with the attitude that money doesn't sleep. And our preparation and our work day in and day out is what really has brought us to this point um, to look back over the course of this year and to see um, you know, 3,100 retailers uh, in an initial year of launch. Well, that's, a, that's certainly a mark of success. Uh, who else is in your group? You say there was a group of you. Now, who's left of the original group uh, in your company? 
So there's four founders that started the company uh, back when three of us were at the University of Kansas, and one of us uh, was actually here in Austin. Sean Connect, the COO, uh, is one of the founders. Sam Lampy, uh, who's really our chief product officer, we call him. He's, he's in charge of really the, the backbone of our operation and all the design elements. Um, and then Ting Liu, who is our representative um, overseas, who really makes all the production and logistics internationally happen. So um, without our core group and our founders, and then, of course, our, our lead designer, um, Devir Nasmani and, and our national sales manager, Mike Say, um, we really couldn't have all the pieces come together in a better fit to drive um, really this, this engine forward. What is the single big, biggest thing you've learned uh, being an entrepreneur? Uh, I think the single biggest thing I've learned is that when you think it's going to take time, it takes two or three times that initial estimate that you thought, um, you know, when we got into this and we, we leaked from our jobs and, and I went to China and my other partners, um, you know, went to work on establishing our foundation here in the States and networking, uh, you know, we thought that this was a dream that could be reality within six months. And I think as you get closer and closer, you look back and realize uh, how hard it is to be successful um, and how much you appreciate it. So I think that's why we continue to go in day in and day out with that mindset of, you know, if, if, if we don't work harder, somebody else will. And I think that's what really um, allows us to learn from those time constraints. How do you plan to grow from this point? Uh, from, from this point, we want to continue. We, we, you know, we're only touching a, a short percentage of what the overall goal is, and, and that's really worldwide distribution and to be able to pr provide products to everybody. Um, you know, from the, the onset of, of the vision, it's um, to continue to push through brick and mortar um, and to provide something different for brick and mortar. Um, certain things that we're doing within customization, the different vision we have there to develop out um, that vision through Pride Bites and bring more opportunity to the consumer um, is how we, we plan to really grow out our strategy and, and to reach more uh, consumers. Do you have a patent on your toys? We do not. We do not. There's no patent on our, on our product, uh, no. How do you um, uh, put up a barrier to entry for someone else to take your product and knock it off? Absolutely. Well, I think first and foremost, you know, being first to market and uh, really pushing this um, concept that, that we feel very strongly with is the, the foam dog toy. Um, we, we believe that foam is so much better than cotton in the sense um, that allows much more versatility within standard dog toys that you wouldn't really imagine or think of. Um, with that whole goal and mindset, when we first started out uh, and developed Pride Bites, what we also did was produce um, several different types of substitute products uh, and private label products at various price points that were much cheaper than our current product that we could also introduce to the market at relative times if there was competition coming aboard. So we really plan on, on, on using our strategies um, with our substitute products to kind of ward off competition. And then also uh, we have some amazing products in store. We have some really great products that are going to be launching over the course of 2014, new opportunities within the foam and pride bites, and uh, just some amazing stuff that I think is so much different than the pet industry has seen that constantly innovating and putting your brand forward is what keeps you top of mind on customers uh, on a customer basis, which ultimately um, you know, brings more brand value and, and wards out competitors. Um, how do you launch a product? Is there a show you go to? Is there a um, uh, or do you, uh, do you do it individually through chains? How do you launch a product like yours? I'm just curious. 
You know, Donald, I think that we have a story that, that matches anybody. We actually launched by going to USC football games with a box of 50 dog toys as a group and selling USC Trojan pride bikes uh, to the masses at the football games uh, every Saturday at USC. Um, but if you want to do it the right way, when we packed up again and, and really proved our concept, we launched at the, a major trade show called the Global Pet Expo, which this year is coming up in March, which we have some really awesome new stuff that I was mentioning before uh, coming out of that show. Um, but it was really there where we got our initial exposure and we're connected with all these different distributors and different retailers that were within the industry who um, we were fortunate enough to, to bring on a, a strong little customer base at the beginning, which ultimately propelled our brand. Oh, and what show is that? I, I didn't hear it clearly. It's the Global What's, Pet Expo. Oh, Pet Expo. Oh, oh, boy, that must be some uh, jamboree. <laughs> it certainly is. Anything from uh, toys to food to uh, dogs being uh, spray-painted and dressed up and, and all sorts of clothes. So it's, it's definitely a spectacle to see. Well, what is it? Americans spend almost as much on their pets as they do on their children. Um, uh, uh, you know, it's an ever-expanding marketplace. And uh, uh, it's it certainly one uh, – uh, it's interesting. Uh, let's go back a minute. How did you choose this marketplace? Because you're dog lovers? Yeah, we, we, you know, we were really passionate about doing something different for our dogs, but ultimately um, because of what you're saying, you know, the, the pet park market is a growing, increasing growing market year over year, and uh, it's about $60 billion industry-wide uh, for expenditures uh, this past year. And um, our substantial cutout of the market, which is supplies and over-the-counter um, items is, is about $11 billion. So we just saw an enormous opportunity, and especially within the marketplace, we saw the same products over and over again. And when we went to the shows, all we were seeing is one, one, somebody being innovative, and then the next year, somebody coming off with a bunch of products that kind of resembled that in a cheaper version. Um, so really what we wanted to push is just being different, giving the customer more choices, allowing them to really be the designer um, and, and, and choose a product that they could purchase that um, they would feel comfortable for the value uh, that they were spending. If someone, if, if our audience wants to get in touch with you, how can they do it? They can get in touch with us via pridebikes.com. We have a live chat. Um, that's uh, an actual normal person. It's not a robot. Uh, they can email us. Our contact information is on the website, but anybody can always email us via customer service at pridebytes.com, or they can check us out via all our social media uh, opportunities, um, Instagram, Facebook, Google+. Um, we have it all. And, and if they wanted to contact you directly? Uh, if they want to contact me directly, they can contact my email at steven at pridebytes.com. Okay. Steve, thank you for joining us today. Uh, today. Uh, I found it very illuminating, and thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Donald. We appreciate you having us on. Well, we look forward to having you back uh, after the pet show to talk about it. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Thank you. I, um, everybody is talking about social media, and everyone has ideas how best to use social media to add profits. Uh, this week, we have one expert who offers a four-step strategy to get the most out of link, LinkedIn. DJ Muller is, is here with us. DJ, are you on the line? Yes, Don. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. DJ, we always ask our guests first to say a little bit about themselves personally before we talk about anything else. Sure. Um, 
Yeah, so so a little bit of background on myself. Um, I'm kind of a uh, uh, entrepreneur at heart. I started my first company when I was uh, 13, not knowing any better. But how I got that started was I just had a natural affinity for computer programming. So this Apple computer came out, and it came to our school, and I just fell in love with it, and I learned how to program it. And I made this student scheduling software, so you could put all their the um, students in and all their classes, and you could press a button, and it would tell all the student schedules where they needed to be and everything. And so I had this great idea. I thought, well, you know, this would be pretty useful to school system. So I put an ad in a teacher magazine um, and sold the software for $69 a copy and was selling two or three copies a week. But when you're 13, turning 14, you know, that's, that's some big money. Um, so that's a, uh, how I got started kind of in the software industry, and I just really love that. And then I uh, grew up in northern Minnesota, and so then I went to St. Cloud State University, which is a little bit north of uh, Minneapolis, about an hour. Uh, majored in business, minored in, in computers, but always was trying to do something um, innovative in the software, trying to figure out how I could use it to, to really help people to get better, to grow their business, and... So out of school, I got hired by a company that did um, association management software. So they did software for uh, churches and associations to help them to run their their businesses. And out of that, I started my own company, again, a little bit bit bigger than the one I had the first time, um, at um, really focused on helping small businesses. So I had this idea, and I lived in Tulsa at the time, well, where I thought, you know, the yellow pages eventually are going to go online. So I made this complete online directory for Tulsa, and then I went about trying to sell ads on that. And it was about 1994, and unfortunately, when I went door-to-door then, a lot of people were like, well, what's the Internet, and why should I put an ad on there? And so, um, but I did have some pretty cool technology. So I got a patent on it, so I applied for one. And then I went about selling this really cool directory and calendar technologies and kind of built the company um, just organically. And so I grew it from just selling these kind of cool online directories to associations, to chambers of commerce, to tourism industries, to building the business. I'd you know, make enough money, then I'd invest some more and hire a few more people and just kind of grew it, um, just grew it organically that, that way. And then after a while, I was really kind of surprised in the early 2000s that nobody was really kind of doing a complete online system to manage an entire association online. So I built this thing from the ground up um, around early 2000s, um, this new thing that Microsoft had come out with called uh, .NET. And we made some really cool things where they actually invited us up to Redmond to show this off. Um, and that got a lot of people excited. Um, and from that, I got approached by um, quite a few people that wanted to invest money, but I really resisted just hearing some horror stories of, you know, taking over and all that good stuff. And so being a small business owner, I resisted that for a long time, but I ran into some really good people um, that started this company called Exact Target here in Indianapolis, which has since been acquired by Salesforce recently um, for about a billion dollars. And they had started their company, and they kind of talked me into it. So in 2008, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go out, and I'm going to give it a shot and see what I can do and so I pitched uh, some VC groups here locally, and I did one presentation, and I got people interested. And so we took in a few million dollars, 
in uh, 2008 to really try to scale up the company. And so we've been on a growth, upward growth path since then, which has been just a, a great personal experience. Well, that's good. Uh, usually there's horror stories associated with the venture capitalists, but you evidently are happy with it. Yeah, I am. I, th I think the um, you got to know what you're getting into, you know. So you got to make sure that you, you're number one. I think just common sense. Make sure you're dealing with people that you that you can trust and know that your goals are aligned. And so, you know, their goals are eventually to get a good exit out of the company. You know, as are mine. And um, but I've really enjoyed it. I think as a small business person, um, it got to a point in the company where it was very um, routine. We sell software, we get renewals for that subscription, and we really focused on taking really good care of the customer. But it got to a, to a point where I wanted to be challenged myself, um, just kind of as a, as a business professional to see how good I could get. And so one of the things that, that our um, venture capital people do is they really bring a lot of good executive talent and coaching, and that has really been just very, very valuable. Okay, so uh, your company today does what? Yeah, so my company is uh, Weblink International, and what we do is we do online kind of, we're a SaaS company, so software as a service. So it's online software that really powers um, hundreds of associations and chambers of commerce, and through that, um, there's over half a million small, medium businesses that, that run through our systems. So they might be registering for events, they might be... Um, signing up for newsletters, they might be paying their, their, their chamber dues online, all that good stuff that runs through our software. We also have, um, do a lot of destination websites. So one of the ones is uh, Martha's Vineyard, for example. If you just Google Martha's Vineyard, you'll see the chamber site, usually like one or two, and that's our website. And then underneath that is all the uh, technology that powers that chamber. But you're here to talk about LinkedIn. Because, yes, I am. Uh, uh, because everybody, uh, mo most small businesses, uh, I saw, saw a statistic today that claimed that 91% of small businesses use social media, which I thought was a little high. But the question is, uh, every uh, every small business uh, has to do do some social media. But let's talk about LinkedIn, which is where you started. Uh, yes. First off, uh, let me ask you. Uh, should a, a small business be on LinkedIn? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think you need to uh, fish where the fish are, and I think LinkedIn is a an unbelievably great tool, especially for small businesses, to connect to their existing customers and to get new customers. And what I mean by that is, you know, every every decision, every buying decision, eventually is made by a person. And LinkedIn, as you know, is, is you're connecting with individuals, and so. I think a lot of times when I talk to uh, entrepreneurs and especially people that aren't that familiar, they, they might be on it, but they're just not really you know, using it. And they think, oh, it's just a professional network. Um, but it can be so much more than that. And, and the way you do that is, is after you get online is the, the most leverageable people that you have are people that you know. And if you already have an established product and you already have an established company, what you do is you connect to your customers especially the ones that love you, and then you ask them, hey, would you give me an introduction? Or when you request a connection to somebody else that they might know, you can leverage that person, and that builds trust. And I think especially if you're trying to grow a business from uh, where you're not that well-known, 
leveraging people that already have um, that your customers that those prospects already know really helps. Um, connecting to other name brand trusted sources also really helps. So for sure, you know, join your local chamber of commerce, then connect to them because for whatever reason, chambers of commerce and trade associations really come up high in uh, in Google searches. And if you can connect to those websites and they can connect to you, that that somehow seems to to help do that. But LinkedIn is just really kind of a I think it's a gold mine for helping you to really grow your business in a very inexpensive way. Oh, well, uh, do you have a book or, or something or, or um, uh, that people can talk to, or are you just oh, – not just, but you're here yeah. uh, talking about it. But do you have a book about it? Yeah, absolutely. So so just what we did is we actually created a kind of an ebook. So it's a step-by-step guide that just kind of walks you through how to do this and if you go to weblinkinternational.com, you can go to the news section and you'll see this. And it just kind of walks you through in a really straightforward, simple way how to create your presence in LinkedIn, what information you need to be filling out, you know, how you talk about your products and services, um, you know, gives you screenshots, um, you know, how to add what things you specialize in, and then you know, how to maximize your presence. So then it talks about, hey, this is how you, you know, ask for recommendations. This is how you can you know, in, improve your presence. So if you have career opportunities, for example, that your company, you want to post those out there, um, talks about how to, you know, you can even, you know, connect a blog to it, post your company updates, targeting your audiences, you know, getting recommendations. So it just, we broke it down as simple as possible for you. Um, and it, I think it's, it's pretty easy. Uh, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, okay. You stopped. I, I was so enthralled. Uh, I wanted you to keep on going. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I had to take a breath uh, the, there. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. Um, uh, I believe in letting my guests talk. Good. Uh, because, because they're smarter than I am usually. Um, uh, let, now, let's go back. Uh, I'm a small business. Um, uh, uh, I decide, yes, I'm going to follow. You say there's four steps to it. What are they? Sure. So the first thing you want to do is you need to create your presence. So you, so you must go to LinkedIn.com and, and, and create your presence. Most people have an individual profile on LinkedIn, but what you need to do then is you need to create your company one. So you, go, you can do that um, you know, through the system, and you can walk through it where you claim your company page. And then once you have the company page, then you then you talk about your company on your company page, and that's where you can talk about your you know your products and your services and your great customer service and um, all the wonderful things your company does. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of step step one is just get your get your presence out there, get it get it created. The next thing you want to do is maximize your presence. So take it just from okay, this is just kind of an infomercial about us to really making it interactive. And, and I think the number one thing, just like in real life, it's building relationships, and asking for recommendations. So testimonials speak volumes, um, especially from when they're from people that other people know. So if you go to your customers that, uh, that know and love you, and then ask them for recommendations. So there is a, uh, you know, a button on there where you can request a recommendation, and that will connect it and send that message to, um, to your customers. And then the third step um, really is about engaging your followers. So it's 
what you want to do there is make sure you're using images, make sure you're updating it, um, you know, linking to your site, for example, um, and making things that are of value to your customers will really help engage them. So if you're targeting um, you know, small businesses that are in the finance sector, posting things about, um, hey, here's how you might get certified to do tax planning, here's how you might do different things like that, things that interest your, um, your customers will also start to gather in and engage um, prospects as well because they'll start relying on you that, hey, this is a great source for information. And then, um, so that's the kind of the main thing out there. And I think the number one thing is, you know, get your presence out there, make sure you maximize it, engage your followers, and then keep it up to date. The last thing is, is just kind of like your website, you can't have it be static. You want to keep it, always keep updating it with, new and great things. And I think if you have the orientation around how can I serve my customers, what information would they like, that um, that translates well. Well, um, that's very interesting. I'm sitting here thinking um, uh, we have a LinkedIn page for this show, but um, uh, for instance, uh, uh, I should be asking people who have been on the show uh, to give a recommendation. Would that be what Absolutely, I- yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly, and that'll um, you that'll snowball, and and you you guys are in an, an awesome position because you guys are creating new and wonderful content constantly about how to how to grow your small business. So there's just this uh, you're in a great position to have a, a a huge halo effect as people begin to rely on on your site and your show as hey, here's an awesome source for how to grow your small business. This is a a fantastic place that you need to go to get information. Um, that's updated frequently, so they keep coming back again and again. So on the company page, for example, like you've got a great website, but also share that content on LinkedIn. And it's just one more place where people can find information about the show. It's one more place where they can learn about how great you are. And, um, yeah. Well, uh, that's what I love about the show. I learn more, more each each week. Uh, someone told me early on, find intelligent people and listen to them. Uh, uh, what other things um, would you suggest um, uh, to small businesses? Uh, and and let, me, uh, let me go a little deeper. What we find is, uh, obviously, if they're under 30 and leading companies, there's no problem. Between 30 and, and 40 years of age, the, uh, there's an adjustment. But uh, still, uh, it's interesting, uh, a majority of small businesses are still owned by people 50-plus. That's changing, but right now. What do you tell uh, older people like that who want to do it but um, uh, are are still um, really learning the Internet, even in this late date? Yeah, I I think the – and you kind of alluded to this is – Find people that are smarter than you are and listen to them. Um, don't don't reinvent the wheel. So um, th- there are a lot of good things out there, a lot of great information. And I think, and, and you know a lot about this too, dealing with entrepreneurs, um, and, and especially people that are late maybe to wanting to start their own company, is you just got to start. Um, and and just getting out there and taking action. And if you make mistakes, you're gonna you know you're gonna break a few eggs, but you just got to keep trying things until until it works. But the, the most important thing I think, and, and, and I've learned this in spades, is you know, it, 
odds are you're not going to run into any problem that somebody hasn't already solved. So if you can find a good small network of trusted people um, in your community to help you out, uh, and, and again, the Chamber of Commerce is a great way to get connected with different people like that because once you get connected, um, there's a lot of people like you that I think just genuinely like to help people. And, um, you know, myself, I, I, I like talking at the um, Indiana School of Business and some other things because I don't want people to make the same mistakes I did. I mean, I can write books of what not to do, and it makes me feel good if I can help share with them, you know, hey, navigate left, navigate right, um, and, and just, get, just get started. And I think too many times people, um, uh, especially even if they get started, they have a hard time getting to that next level because the skill sets you need when you're running a million-dollar company are different than the skill sets you need at $5 million, are different than the skill sets you need at $10 million. And so always learning, always um, having people around you that um, are good counsel. Um, but at the bottom line, it's your company. You've got to do it. You make the decisions, and you just got to go for it. What is, how does your, if I'm a small business, can I use your, your company? Yes, you can use it in, in a couple of ways. So the way you could use our company as a small business is usually through our chambers of commerce and our associations. Um, so by joining them, then that gives you connectivity to network and to grow your business instantly. So you think about LinkedIn, you still have to do the work to go one by one by one by one to connect to different people and businesses in your community. And if you have a product that can be um, you know, sold online or geographically centered and it helps to connect with people physically, then getting in, if you're a chimney sweep, you know, join the chimney sweep guild. If you're a local business, for sure get hooked up with your chamber of commerce because they will help you get connected in the physical world, um, and that, which is really important because that halo effect then translates well online. So if you're connected with, uh, you know, with a trusted organization, that really helps uh, people cut through the noise of what's real or what's not. So, for example, unfortunately, like on LinkedIn and some of these other uh, sites, there's people out there that are uh, just posting. They're not real recommendations. They're not real um, testimonials. Or just you know, the marketing company does them all. And, and to yeah. some extent, there's not nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you're able to connect to somebody where somebody could, hey, I know that person, or I know this company, and they can call that person and say, hey, I saw you had a recommendation on LinkedIn. That's really valuable. And with LinkedIn, it is that because all those recommendations come from people and so it really helps to accelerate trust and if you are excel and again if you're connecting with a chamber of commerce or other local trusted uh, organization then that also helps to build trust all right uh, if people want to reach you directly yes so if they want to reach me directly it's dj at weblinkinternational.com and they can also just go to our website at www.weblinkinternational.com. Uh, uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, uh, we want you back in the new year to talk more about this. That would be awesome. Come on. I would love to, Don. Thank you for very uh, much for inviting me. No, because as I said, I, I, I learned a lot, and I hope our audience uh, did as well. Uh, good, good. And, ha and have a good holiday. Well, you too, sir. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate all the hard work you guys are doing. Well, thank you. Uh, we appreciate guests like you. you. Thank, thank you. you. Sir. Well, that's uh, that's our program for tonight. Uh, it's the holiday season, 
and we want to uh, kind, kind of give you time, more time to shop for those gifts. Our next pro- program is a departure for us as we bro- broadcast on Christmas Day, and we thought our listeners might like to take a look at holiday movies and why they are important to us. We've asked John DeLeo to join us. He's a nationally known uh, movie critic and author, and uh, he has written books about Hollywood and about some of the stars that you and I enjoy. Uh, we also asked uh, Bob Frump to join us. He, he and I will talk about writing, how to uh, write well, uh, both fiction and uh, business. And for our New Year's Eve uh, show, or New Year's Day show, uh, it's entitled How to Grow a Small Business in 2014 with a panel of real experts on doing this, looking at financing a small business, how to handle Obamacare and all of the complications that will occur next year, women entrepreneurs, uh, tips to growing your business, and how Peter Drucker might have attacked uh, a small business and in today's world, that management guru uh, will be a- will be asking uh, the questions that need to be answered in 2014 through his perhaps greatest uh, 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 interpreter. Until then, here's the last word. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.